So I was born, as we all were, into a time where international competition was a common occurrence. The Olympic Games have been a constant fixture of my life. Though the nationalism on display ebbs and flows, it's been a window into a world I cannot reach. It's been a way to see the world's people and taste their culture as the novelty of foreign lands flickered on the television, first every four years, now every two. But international competition, at least in sport, seems to be a very new thing. The Olympics themselves, not the games we know, but the original Olympics were competitions open only to Greek men and were held throughout the empire. It's not hard to understand why those games had been rooted in Greek religion and played to honor a Greek god, Zeus. In fact, when I started researching this topic, I got nowhere because I was asking the question, when did the first international competitions begin? And I presumed to look in the ancient world. It was frustrating coming up with nothing for so long because the idea of sporting events between nations was ingrained in me as a normal thing. I ended up finding out that the first recognized international competition just happened in 1844. Relative to the ancient Greeks, that's like yesterday. It was, in fact, a cricket match between Canada and the USA, and it was played in Manhattan. Canada won, by the way, 23 runs. Whatever that means. I don't know cricket. <laughs> in all of recorded history, there have been little or no reports of countries challenging other countries in a game. But to demonstrate the complexities of history, in 1994, a bronze plaque was found inscribed with victors of the Olympic combative events, hailing from the mainland in Asia Minor. Proof that an international Olympic Games did at some point happen before they were quashed by the Roman Emperor Theodosius I in order to impose Christianity on the Greeks. Pierre de Coubertin, reinvigorator of the modern Olympics, wouldn't have known that. The modern Games restarted in 1896, were built as an, interna were built as an international competition. They included 13 countries from the onset, but why? Why create an international competition at all? What's the point? Is it to build a national identity, Brendan? Is uh. it a surrogate for war, Marco? Is it a human <laughs> desire to win and dominate, Tammy? Why do nations compete? <laughs> Discuss. Um, <clears throat> the uh, bragging rights, I think, is kind of what... You think? Well, that was my first thought, was to say, we're better at this than you, or... So nationalism. Sure. Uh, I mean, that's kind of... That is a very, I can see that's being a uniquely American, well, not a uniquely American, but a very American perspective. America kind of has a bad habit of having domestic competitions called world competitions. That bothers me. And then we win them all ourselves. That is an ugly kind of nationalism, but probably happens in other countries. I've never looked. You mean <laughs> there's a difference between the World Series <laughs> and the World Baseball Classic? I've They're never heard the of the same second. thing. I haven't heard of the second one, but I imagine Japan's involved in it. Or are they? Maybe Cuba? When you went over the history, it didn't really surprise me all that much because the idea of nations as we know them today didn't really happen until a little pre-World War I. So still in the scope of history, it's the idea of nations themselves is relatively Okay, new. well, let's not get bogged down in the definition <laughs> of nations then. <laughs> What about 
empires? What about peoples? What about just us versus them? Competition to prove dominance. Well, in the ancient times, it was more actual war. A surrogate for war is another of the options. And that's what the ancient, uh, you know, Central Americans, South Americans, the Mayans, they were very, very sports-minded. Yeah, Mayan ball. That was a Maya fun little ball show. and all of those of those old ancient sports were quite honestly surrogates for war. They not only kept you primed for war, but they were kind of satisfying that bloodlust. And it's kind of the whole Victorian philosophy of, well, we don't do war anymore. War is for savages. We're going to settle things the gentleman's way and play a sport or a chess match or what have tennis you. back that then. Was, yeah. yeah, that was probably said after. Settling and, 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 and occupying yeah. dozens of countries. Thanks for your land. Now let's play on it. Yeah. <laughs> now that you're subjugated, we're too far above you to battle it out for <laughs> your freedom. How about chess? Tammy, any thoughts? Uh, I mean, hockey. You're a hockey person. You're a hockey fan. Is there a global hockey anything? I don't know anything about hockey. I don't know. I'm... Okay, how about the the Olympics themselves include hockey? Right. What does it mean to you when America takes the ice? For the Olympics? Yeah. When a team representing this country Well, it's kind of exciting, but I mean, your favorite players are playing for other countries and you realize that. Well, some are. Well, a lot of them. You realize you have a lot of Canadians on your team when (laughs) it comes down to the Olympics and... That right there is directly at odds with nationalism, Brendan. So, but I that's think, actually almost embarrassing when, when something <laughs> like that would happen. I would think. Well, in in hockey's situation, and even kind of a little bit with soccer, I was because just going to say soccer similar. Soccer is more of a world sport, so it it comes down to leagues, and we're so sophisticated now. Or I don't think sophisticated is the word, but we're evolved to the point where every country has more than one league, and and each top tier league is attractive enough to other demographics and, and other countries and other play, players from other countries. So yeah, in, in Tammy's case, you, you could have, you know, a favorite player or something like that play for another country. And, and at some point you may see them on the opposite side of things. And it's Her, weird to hear them talk shit about the country they play in. Well, and like I think, Crosby. yeah, I was just going to say, I know what she's getting at. Yeah, here, he talked shit about my favorite goalie one year. There was some, some, uh, banter between good, so I can't Sidney Crosby and Ryan Miller, Ryan Miller being the USA goalie and Sidney Crosby pretty much being the, the next Wayne and Gretzky. He's on and, Pittsburgh, so I'm like, you play for the U.S., dude. So there's some <laughs> some bad blood between teams, like club teams that they play on, and then when they take it to the national scale, then there's your country's pride at stake as well. Um, I don't know how much of nationalism you want to put in it there, but I still feel like there's a, a degree of it. I mean, well, that's the interesting well, there's fun thing about banter, sports. and then there's just rude. <laughs> Marco, what about like kind of at odds with that? What about kind of like an Ivory Coast kind of did your drug buys, your golden boy, and your entire national identity is resting on him One carrying guy. a team? Yeah, that's to the something thing short about of sports is because with these big, big name players, sometimes it comes to are their egos bigger than their country? duty for a country? <laughs> Especially like what Tam mentioned, if there's issues between certain players that are like personal rivals or like 
club team rivals between each other. It's long been said that England sabotages itself for that very reason, because they all hate each other for the rest of the year and all other competition, hmm. and then they got to come back and be a team when they're in one of the, some of the fiercest competition on the planet, probably in the EPL. Definitely, definitely one of the deepest as far as competitive go. Like you have to have a specific degree of competitive nature to even be a part of the Premier League, and then to be called upon your you know your national team and in most cases these are you know countries like england and brazil and, and certain national teams where there's only one big club where all the players are from that same club um that helps i think there's better chemistry and i yeah. think that's part of the reason as much as i hate to say it why england has gotten better in recent years is because their team is heavy on tottenham players so these are guys that are used to playing together mm-hmm. week to week. It's not Wayne Rooney and uh, Ronaldo turning on each other for Portugal, England. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they were a fantastic duo, the two of them. I was uh, thinking of something else. Well, I forgot it. I lost it. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> oh, Brazil. Somebody mentioned Brazil. Yeah, I did. Specifically, what if your your national identity is now not only to win, but to win in a certain way? That is some crazy evolution beyond just <laughs> the competition. It's like you can't just win as a Brazilian. You have to win in a poetic kind of Brazilian style. And that also goes back to personal ego because we saw Diego Costa switch allegiances between countries because apparently he wasn't feeling it with Brazil. But Spain was, I guess, for whatever reason, whether he wanted to win or whether that style fit with him a lot of people argued the opposite he kind of ruined that spain team (laughs) as far as stylistically but that's another example of personal ambition versus duty for country god there was a there was a legend i don't know if it was substantiated but something like a brazil an argentina somewhere down there would actually um offer you citizenship based on your skill if you would play for them like coming from another, like you could be, you could be a Ronaldo. They would basically say, "Come play for Brazil. We'll just give you citizenship." I don't know which country exactly it was, but I remember that being a very lucrative trade. I would have bought into that. Somebody could have bought my nationality. And that's <laughs> been one of like the complicated issues when people talk about <clears throat> Messi, who is generally regarded as the greatest player in the world, up for debate with Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. But a lot of Argentinians kind of drag him under the bus because he spent most of his life in Spain, even though he was born in Argentina. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like Barcelona paid for his childhood medical issues. So right. he's almost more Spanish than Argentinian. So you can make the argument both ways. Well, and he hasn't really, he hasn't been. A Landon Donovan, so to speak, when it comes to his national team, either. So I could see how his country doesn't really see him as as maybe one of the better players because he hasn't really delivered. I mean, he has, but the expectations are so high with that team, especially after what Maradona accomplished. Right. They don't care that he scored that hand of God goal. They just <laughs> care no. that they won the World Cup. Right. So going back into history, I, I <clears throat> at first I thought when I found out that 
1844, U.S. Canada was the first recorded official international anything. And lacrosse. Uh, cricket. Kinda, oh, cricket. That's cricket. Right. Played in Manhattan, so I assume it was a largely Toronto team traveling to a New York City, which wouldn't be too terribly hard to do. But the issue of travel has largely been eliminated from our from our problems, our, our back basket of problems in the modern age. We can get anywhere in like fourteen hours. So well, that drive is like a nine-hour drive now, but in eighteen forty-two, yeah, in eighteen forty-four, or forty-four, and uh, they probably you know, took a day or two to get there and back. And I'm sure it was a money deal. I'm sure it was an exhibition money deal. But the same kind of thing was happening in other countries that touched land borders, Scotland and England. I'm sure Europe was doing a certain thing. Between 1844 and 1896, when the Olympics came back, a decidedly and intentionally international competition with 13 countries involved. In that interim... England and Scotland played several international matches. But at no point does anyone say why. Why is this important to do now? So I was just kind of wrestling with the question, who cares? (laughs) Uh, Scotland specifically, we talked about with the Scottish scientists, would be called traitors when they left their country to play in England for money. Does that kind of thing even happen now? I mean, you're talking about Messi. He's probably, some might consider him a traitor in Argentina, but you make a good point for him being culturally Spanish by now. Um, but, I mean, I could see that being a huge problem. The traitor issue. Like leaving the country, playing for another country. Or well, in back. another country. I don't think anybody can can argue that Ivory Coast was good enough for Didier Drogba to stay in. I'm sure they wish him well when mm-hmm. he goes off to Chelsea. But he did come back and he did play for his country. I got to think that there's countries like Germany. If you're a German and you leave to Italy, that might not go over so smooth, even today. Hmm. It's another catch-22, though. Because like Brendan mentioned Landon Donovan. <laughs> a lot of Americans criticize him for not playing abroad because that's... Americans want to be the best at everything, and the best football isn't necessarily played here in the States. It, it kind of, I don't know, you could look at him as kind of a homer. Like, I want to stay here and grow the sport internally. You could look at him as somebody who's self-conscious. It's like, I don't know, I might be the best in this tier, but I may not be able to compete over there. It could have been, I think... I remember Jordan Morris having the same kind of conversations around him when well, he decided on Seattle. Kay, uh, Cole Bassett could be another conversation in the same category of kids who are really good <clears throat> in America, but maybe when they go across the pond, their candle doesn't burn as bright. And and I don't. I'm not, only Landon Donovan will know because he's the one that each time he went to you know play over at Everton or whatever, you know, will he know who he compared against and whatnot, but he, you can't take away the fact that when it comes to international goals, he's got the most or second most. I'm not sure if Dempsey passed that or not. Well, that was the other thing with me with the criticism of Donovan is he can play wherever he wants if he's producing in those big international games, which he was MLS or, or no MLS. He was scoring in, big games against teams like Ghana, England, 
those big teams that had a bunch of players playing in the Premier League and that could have shut him down leagues. just the same. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, so from a U.S. soccer perspective, I mean, it's kind of that age-old adage: if if you're doing what you need to do at your job, there's no problem. I think you can also measure from a U.S. perspective, from an MLS perspective, you can measure your own status by how who outgrows your, your system. If we're sending too many people away, then we're not a good enough system. That gives us something to, to strive for. And when you can keep a Landon Donovan or draw back a Landon Donovan, that should only say good things. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we've all seen the league grow in the last 25 years. I think it's become something pretty cool compared to even just 15 years ago. Well, yeah. 10 years I mean, ago. It's, it's a more watchable <laughs> product. That's for sure. Absolutely. It, it's not... Uh, I think the refing still needs some work, but... My mom still describes professional soccer games as, it's like going to a triple-A baseball game. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> Except these are top-level athletes and <laughs> the top level of their country. But that's her perspective, and it's funny. <laughs> Go back to nationalism of the past. One of the great schadenfreude, and I use that word intentionally, is Hitler being in the, in the 1936, was it? Um, Jesse Owens, oh yeah, when Hitler specifically allowed the Olympics, allowed the Germany to go to the Olympics to show them that the Aryans are the best, and then they got owned, particularly by Jesse Owens. So sometimes nationalism can bite you in the ass. In fact, there's probably more than one case, multiple cases, if we went digging, where if it was just purely nationalism, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could almost think about the the Miracle on Ice. I don't know much about that, but I've heard of that. That's a hockey game with Russia, nineteen eighty. Eighty four, I think. Okay. Uh, we weren't even projected to even be in that game, but somehow did. And you know, Russia was the juggernauts, and it was all about even being able to stay competitive with them, let alone beat them. So like an underdog kind of thing. Well, and there was a little bit of retribution, too, <clears throat> because they had played against Russia a handful of months prior to that and just got smacked around. It, embarrassing. So it was kind of, it, it was bittersweet, and I think that's what makes it such the, the miracle story and, and the happy story that it is, is that we got punched around in the face by these Russians in the middle of the Cold War when... It's kind of really about your country at this point. And they went out there and, and took a fight and came away with a W. Uh, yeah. And I wonder what that kind of did for our American perspective of Russia. Because Russia was, I was two and 80. So if it happened then, um, I grew up in the whole aftermath of that in the Cold War. And Russia was... They were feared, but they were also pitied in America. You know, the, the legends, I don't know what is true about standing in bread lines and all that. <laughs> but that that could have fed into that whole national paranoia or national agenda to denigrate another country, kind of like North Korea does to us, mm -hmm. apparently, <laughs> all the time. Um, but again, going back again to um, Marco's earlier point about nations not existing as they did another big reason for nations to compete with each other is to establish a national identity is to establish a national culture and to gain global recognition as a unified kind of people so that's kind of uh flying a flag as well as far as historically speaking 
Well, if, and, and if how much do you... If you're Eritrea, you can't wait to get in the Olympics to prove that you're your own country. Now, you're not Ethiopia anymore, or North Ethiopia. Yeah, and I was going to say, especially the underdeveloped countries, mm-hmm. right. quote-unquote third world countries, you see Developing a lot nations, more yeah. um, national pride in in their sports teams because that's kind of the one area that the playing field is leveled versus like GDP or we have the biggest military, et cetera, et cetera. If it's on a, a sports pitch or field or whatever the sport is, and, and it's, soccer it's is just man yeah. versus man. And soccer is so uniquely special in that way because it requires such little equipment to play. The kids play with rolled up balls of trash and clothes and they can grow up to be Didier Drogba or Kai Kamara, you know. Whereas if you get into hockey, that's a huge, there's huge costs of entry into games like hockey, games like even javelin. You could be the best at throwing a javelin, but if you don't have a javelin, you'll never know. (laughs) I mean, that's a good point. I think as far as team sports go, I don't know if I can think of a sport aside from hockey that costs as much football as hockey, I was to say football. You're getting a lot of pads. Pads yeah. is one Equipment. thing, but you don't have the specialized environment that is required for hockey. I don't know. Can you play street hockey as a ref, uh, as a effective kind of practice? But even street hockey. You still have to pay for all the equipment. Yeah, yeah true. Rollerblades. No, but the one thing that costs so there. much and was one of the reasons why I couldn't play for any longer than I did was ice time. Ice time alone cost almost as much as it does for. It would have cost to put my daughter through competitive soccer, like club soccer. You know, that cost a couple grand. It cost a couple grand in just ice time, let alone the pads and the equipment and everything else. Like it, that. <clears throat> I think hockey and, and horse racing are probably the two most expensive yeah, the, sports that I can think of. The dressage, of the that my, Mitt yeah. Romney's wife's dressage horses, <laughs> you know, that only the only the monarch, monarchs of each country actually yeah, compete in yeah. those. Know how to make your horse dance and do <laughs> yeah. weird shit, but yet somehow it cost them $300,000 to figure out how to do and have a horse that can now breed other horses to do that. It, <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Well, it's still all about a learned the, behavior. Yeah, one of those exactly. Good it's all about the, like the teacher. You yeah. Know. It's a learned behavior. It's, it's somebody so rich that it's like, I want to do something that is completely out of this horse's nature. Yeah, any horse can run and jump, but I'm going to make one dance because I'm that rich <laughs> and bored. Um, but you're right. I mean, you, people will breed their horses and they're selling them for ridiculous amounts. But more, a lot of horses can do and it. That I don't think for whatever the they should be breeding the trainers, yeah. right? <laughs> and there's not a level. I don't feel like there's a level playing field when it comes to even like horse racing and stuff like that because you yeah, can throw a lot of money so involved at, monetarily. But like. soccer in an Olympic situation, yeah, it, it's all about the players on the field, and you know it doesn't matter really where you come from. It's how you play the game, especially as codification became universal. Yeah. So that's all I really had, unless anyone has any closing arguments. Um, then <laughs> next time we'll just look at, we may never know why Charles Alcock decided we need to have an international competition. To I, I assume the brand? Well, I, I have a bad assumption that it's a lot to do with... Why national teams compete? We're better than Scotland. That's what I kind of <laughs> was, I mean, I felt like there was a good chunk of, we, we came up with this. 
we we're better this. than this. Yeah. Even though you're playing it too. And I mean, there was kind of that Whereas, little bit of. But com- Scotland revolutionized it. Exactly. So know. you can get a little bit jealous at the fact that some country, some Scotsman, some scientist took your game and maybe kind of bettered it. There might be a little bit of jealousy. There might be a little bit of like, all right, let's have a little competition. Let's see who's better at it. Let's play your ball. Let's play my ball. And let's figure out how or who oh, yeah. is better. But this also is a sign that it's grown way beyond the college game. This is this is us versus you. This is England versus Scotland. And that'll be the next footy philosopher. That's awesome because I love England versus Scotland. And that is <laughs> such a, I mean, oh, wait, are we talking soccer? Yeah, no. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Talking everything. There's definitely some nationalism in it involved. But it, when anything is with sport is competitiveness. And so there could easily have been, as well, some just competitive nature to say, hey, mm-hmm. let's, let's see how good you are. And as well as to grow the brand, too. Because if you think you're sitting on a winner, you want to be able to, grow it as big as possible or as fast as possible and you put nationalism behind that it makes the competition all all the more bigger bigger and better you can draw the best rivalries in international soccer or rivalries that are beyond soccer like you mentioned england scotland england Mm -hmm. france yeah germany england (laughs) (laughs) those are rivalries that kind of go beyond sport when you look at the history behind them. Yes. Yeah, that's where the waters get muddied. Um, but I'll close on a quote by Ezra Taft Benson. Fear of men's judgment manifests itself in competition for men's approval. Basically saying that, I, so you know, yeah, I'm pretty good. I get it. <laughs> I'm no Ezra Taft Benson, but hey, none of us are. Till next time. Thank you. Footy philosopher doing soccer right. Let's take a look at why it's in and